Welcome to the Slam and Jam here on the Athletic NBA Show. Hey, go to theathletic.com slash NBA Show and get the Athletic for a discounted rate. You can even give it as a gift if you're like, oh man, I don't know what to get my uncle. I don't know what to get my brother or my sister or my aunt or my mom. Get them a subscription to the Athletic and use the uh, URL, theathletic.com slash NBA Show to get it at a discounted rate. It's a great gift. It's a great website. Lots of great stuff. There's a there's an article that I thought was really interesting by Tim Cato where he talked to NBA players about how dunking hurts. It hurts their hands. Did you know? <laughs> Go check it out. It's really great. Um, with me today is my good friend Alex Spears. And Alex, tell me what happened in the NBA this week. Well, Andrew, it all started last Friday night in Phoenix, where the New York Knicks, led by Jalen Brunson's career-high 50 points, ran all over the Suns, 139-122. to Brunson took nine three-pointers in the game. You know how many he made, Andrew? Any guesses? No idea. He made nine, Andrew. <laughs> okay, he was nine for nine. <laughs> that is the fourth time in NBA history that a player has gone nine of nine from three. Latrell Sprewell did it, mm. and Ben Gordon did it twice. Wow. Meanwhile, for the Suns, it was more bad injury news as Bradley Beal left five minutes into the game with an ankle sprain and will be reevaluated in two weeks. After a seven game winning streak earlier in the season, the Suns are three and seven in their last 10, Ooh. with their only wins coming against the Wizards, the Grizz without jaw, oh. and that crazy Warriors game when Draymond got ejected. Yeah. Also on Friday, the Spurs won a game. Whoa. Congratulations to Spurs fans. On Saturday, the Oklahoma City Thunder got a statement win in Denver, where the Nuggets are now 11-2. and two. Wow. With .9 seconds left, Shea Gilgis-Alexander hit a turnaround jumper giving the Thunder the 118-117 to win. Rookie Chet Holmgren finished the game with 17-11 and and eight blocks in the game. He is currently averaging 2.7 blocks per game. And after snapping the Clippers' nine-game winning streak later in the week, the Thunder now sit 18-8, second in the West. On Sunday, the Milwaukee Bucks beat Houston 128-119, to led by Damian Lillard's 39 points. Now, the Bucks' season has been dominated by questions about first-year head coach Adrian Griffin, questions about their perimeter defense, questions about the authenticity of game balls. Meanwhile, and somewhat quietly, the Bucks seem to be hitting their stride. They've won six straight and sit at 21-7, and only a half game back of Boston for first place in the East. Giannis is having an incredible season, shooting a career-high 61% from the field. He broke the franchise record for most points in a game last week. He broke Kareem's franchise rebounding record this week. The Rockets, on the other hand, they're in a bit of a slump. They have lost three in a row. The good news is that their 12 losses this season have only come as part of a three-game losing streak, which means the Rockets are guaranteed (laughs) to win their game tonight against the (laughs) Dallas Mavericks. On Monday, the Los Angeles Clippers put up 151 points on the Indiana Pacers. James Harden had a season-high 35 in the game, including 18 straight in the fourth quarter. It was the eighth win in a row for the Clippers, who would extend that streak to nine later in the week before losing to OKC. The Clippers are now 17-11, and and per cleaning the glass, there are currently four teams that are top 10 in both offense and defense, Boston, Philly, OKC, 
and the Los Angeles Clippers. For the Pacers, it was another in a series of incredible box scores in their quest to become the most extreme team of all time. That's right. They continue to have the league's number one offense and second worst defense, but shout out to the Wizards because the gap is closing. Currently, the Wizards give up 123.5 points per 100 possessions on defense. The Pacers, 123.3. We are 0.2 points per 100 possessions away from history. Also, a uh, fun stat. This is the fifth time a team has scored 140-plus points on the Pacers this season. The all-time record is the 1990-91 Nuggets, who allowed 140-plus points in a game 24 different times. <laughs> Number two, though, that, that might be unreachable. Okay, I'll admit. That might be unreachable. Number two, though, 14. How many more times do we see a team drop 140 on the Pacers? Can we get to double digits? On Tuesday, it was the return of John Morant, and what a return it was. The Grizzlies wow. fell behind by as much as 24 in the first half, but slowly chipped away in the second until taking the lead 113-111 to 111 with 122 left in the fourth. The Pelicans would tie it up, setting up a final play with Ja going straight at Herb Jones and hitting a floater to give the Grizzlies the 115-113 to 113 win as time expired. Ja finished with 35 points in his first game back, and after a second straight win on Thursday, the Grizzlies now sit at 8-19, and 19, still five games back of the 10th seed, but definitely looking like a real team again. On Wednesday, the Boston Celtics were coming off a thrilling overtime loss to Golden State on Tuesday, a game highlighted by Steph Curry hitting the most rainbow of rainbow shots to win it. An exhausting game, and now it was the second night of a back-to-back, and Boston was in Sacramento, where the Kings are off to their best start since the 2004-05 season. Mm. A very tough task, but not for the Celtics on this night, who blew out the Kings 144-119. to Boston hit 52% of their three-pointers, their second-best performance from three of the season. Andrew, can you guess who Boston's best performance from three was against? Was it the Pacers? Of course it was. <laughs> Absolutely it was the Pacers. For the Kings, listen, it wasn't a great night. But guess which Western Conference team has bitten, has beaten, has bitten, has bitten them, has beaten Minnesota, OKC, and Denver, the top three seeds currently. That's right. It's the Kings. Okay? They're still good. Yeah, they're good. Finally, on Thursday, it seemed like our national nightmare was coming to an end. An oasis appeared in a hellish schedule. The injury report for the Pistons jazz game was filled to the brim Dude. with useful jazz players, including Lowry Markin, Jordan Clarkson, Taylor Horton Tucker, and Keontae George. Four of their top six scores. The game was in Detroit. Wingstop was ready to cook up some wings. <laughs> I personally bet money on the Pistons. You did? Doing my small part. <laughs> shut up. Doing my small part to channel positive energy to Detroit. Oh, no. And at the end of it all, the result was a 119 to 111 loss for Detroit. Their 25th straight, one loss away from infamy. And next up, two games against the Brooklyn Nets to decide the fate of this Pistons season. Will they be the team that narrowly missed the record, tied the record, or the team that ventured where no other team before them dared to go? Will we see history this week, Andrew? What a week it was. What a week it was. Uh, I've been enamored with this Pistons losing streak, and we're going to talk actually a ton about it <laughs> and a ton about just yes, losing in general. 
And what I didn't know is that not only are the Pistons about to make history, we're about to have some NBA history here when it comes to like a very specific stat. So I was looking at just net ratings this year, and I was like, oh, I noticed that there are three teams that have negative net ratings in the uh, double digits. The Spurs have the worst net rating, actually, minus 11.6. Pistons are second, minus 11.4, and Hornets minus 10.8. The Wiz aren't even in there. There's three teams. I was like, oh, like how many teams have actually done this? So I look back. Since 96-97, that's 27 years of NBA basketball, there have only been 14 teams that have had a negative 10 net rating or worse. So that's typically... So we've like got how many? Three. So there's been one every other year, basically. And there hasn't been a team with a negative net rating, um, negative minus 10 or worse, since the 2021 season. So like it's been a few years since this has happened. That was the 2021 Thunder, who had a negative 10.6 net rating. So we have mm. three... So far, that was the season. spring of Poku. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that was. I mean, it was definitely like the deserving Poku Thunder team that just let him have it. So there's three teams this season, not even including the Wizards, who are at a minus nine. So like they're they're right there. Um, Spurs are worse. Like I said, negative eleven point six, which is a bad bad number for a bad bad team. But that's not the worst in in that span of time in the 27 years. The worst team is the 11-12 Bobcats, who had a negative 15 net rating that season. Legendary team. And then the 97-98 Nuggets were a minus 13.2. So yes. the, the teams that show up the most, you want to take a guess at which team shows up the most with a negative 10 or worse net rating in the last 27 years? Uh, I think I... Well, I don't know that I know this, but... I know that one time I did like the worst three season stretches in NBA history. And the team that came out number one was Dallas. So is it Dallas? Dallas doesn't even make the list. They're not even really? on the list of teams. No. A lot of people would probably gravitate toward maybe the 76ers. They tanked a lot. They only did it twice. There's one team that did it three times, and I would have never guessed that it would be this team. It's the Chicago Bulls. Had it three, oh, three years. Yes. So... It was the 99-2000 Bulls, the 98-99 Bulls. So this is just like MJ leaves, everybody leaves, Pippen's gone. It's like, okay, now we have nothing. Um, and then the 2000-2001 Chicago Bulls. So those three years, 98 through 2001, the Bulls had negative 10 or worse net rating. Um, I should have known that because I didn't include this in what I'm about to talk about, but uh, I was looking at... Because it's it's very likely that the Pistons are going to go five seasons without winning a hundred games total, <laughs> and I just wanted to I, I I went through every team to see if that had ever been done before, the and the one team where it had been was those Bulls, yeah. ninety six yeah. wins over those five seasons. Yeah, really, really bad. Uh, the Seventy Sixers and the Bobcats both have done it twice. The Bobcats just like historically bad eleven twelve team. And then Thunder, Cavs, Knicks, Hawks, Clippers, Nuggets, and the Vancouver Grizzlies all did it once. But like the real history here is that there are three this year. There are th- right now there are three teams, and with the Wizards there as like a little safety net, it feels like we could actually have it happen. With the Spurs and the Pistons, like they feel pretty firm there, and like they, they, it could end up being worse for them as this continues to go on. 
And then you have the Hornets and the Wizards. So this could be a historically bad year for just like the bottom of the barrel teams. I know there's like a lot of conversations about like, what should we do? I mean, this is an anomaly. Like this isn't like well, becoming yeah, a problem. It hasn't happened in several years. So like the people that are like, we need to fix this. It's like, guess we don't need to fix this. It hasn't happened. But this is weirdly bad. And for that specific argument, it makes it so much better that it's happening during this draft cycle. Yeah. Because I think that would be a much more compelling argument if it was last year. With it didn't Wimby. even happen last year. It didn't even happen didn't with happen. one team last year. And that's the like, Wimby like, draft. What are the, the greatest draft prospects people were talking since LeBron. Yeah. And I was expecting this sort of season. Oh, yeah. Teams were just like, we are going to suck and yeah. we're going to do it on purpose. And instead, we get it in this draft cycle, which everyone feels like is a very weak draft cycle. Yeah, dude. Like, name me one yeah, guy that you bizarre. are confident will be in the top three in this draft. Like, name me one guy that you're like, oh, they're I for sure going in the top three. I'm not even talking about the number one I, pick. I, I, Nobody knows, man. Nobody knows. I know. It, that That is like the most amazing part. Yeah. And and the other thing is that, you know, last year, you can make the case that several teams were deliberately tanking. Like, we know that's not the case with Detroit. No. We know they're not. No. We know it. And so, yeah, maybe the Spurs, you know, with Point Sohan, uh, you know, maybe they're sure. you know, a but, byproduct but they of that. But they are, like, developing. They're not trying to... They're, they don't want to be this bad. Like, they don't want to be right. negative 11.6 bad. And, and that's why it's just it's so amazing that it we is. have this level, which does kind of speak to the uh, strength of the league. I, I know we're talking about the worst teams, but the fact that you could even have this during yeah. this draft cycle try, kind of speaks to how good the rest of the league is. Yeah. And how difficult it looks like it's going to be to like get off of the bottom oh, when yeah. you do fall down that low because there just are no easy games anymore. Yeah. Um, and that's why like when you start looking at this this piston streak and start looking ahead on their schedule. I mean, that's why everyone identified that game last night. That's yeah. why everyone is looking people ahead to that for like Spurs a game, whenever that's going to be. Yeah, people circled it for like a month. Like, okay, well, here's yeah. the next winnable game for them, and they lose to Kelly Olynyk. Oh my gosh! All right, tell me, tell me more about this Pistons team, Al. Okay, well, I, I've been kind of putting off doing a deep dive on the Pistons, but I, I do think it's time because now that the Pistons are on the doorstep, they're on the precipice of infamy. I think this is the biggest story in the league, and I want to give it the attention. It deserves mm -hmm. because this this could be historical what we are watching. So I'm going to do the top ten craziest facts about the Pistons losing streak. Now some of these things are things we all know but need to be repeated. Some are stats I found this week. Before I jump in, I want to I do want to shout out the Pistons fans because James Edwards wrote a great piece on the Athletic last mm -hmm. night after their loss to the Jazz, and the main focus was on the great fans of Detroit and how they deserve better than this. How the arena was packed last night, full of fans trying to will this team to a win. And for you and me, we're fans of a team who less than two years ago lost a game by 73 points, okay? Yep. We, we were the focus of everyone's negative attention. I think we can empathize with Pistons totally. fans in a small way totally. in terms of never wanting to have this kind of national attention. <laughs> yeah, I would not wish this on any fan base. That said, I have to talk about them. Uh, so here we go. Top 10 craziest facts about the Pistons losing streak. Number 10. And I think this is the single fact that makes this losing streak so incredible. It's something we're all aware of, but it bears repeating. This is year four of Troy we Weaver's rebuild. Yeah, That makes this streak so much more incredible because when you look back at the teams who have had streaks of this magnitude, 
none of them look like the Pistons. Yeah. They are all teams in periods of upheaval. For example, the 13-14 Sixers lost 26 in a row. Mm -hmm. That was the first year of the process. They had traded Drew the summer before. Hinky was in the process, no pun intended, of building a team designed to lose. Yeah. 2010-11 Cleveland, they lost 26 in a row. Also the first year of a rebuild, and not just any rebuild. The Cavs lost LeBron James, <laughs> arguably the greatest player of all time the summer before. Yeah. Now, they did still have some guys, Antoine Jameson, uh, Ramon Sessions, Verjao, uh, shout out J.J. Hickson. He had a couple of years yeah. as a fantasy-relevant player. Yeah. But injuries killed them. They ended up trading Mo Williams, who was one of their best players, to the Clippers midseason for a pick, a, which, of course, would become Kyrie Irving in that next draft. We have the 95-96 Vancouver Grizzlies, lost 23 in a row. Mm -hmm. Also the first year of a rebuild. Literally their first year of existence. They were an expansion team that year. <laughs> the 2011-12 Charlotte Bobcats, the famous oh, seven-win Bobcats. Unbelievable. Now the Bobcats had traded their leading scorer, Steven Jackson, the summer before. They were all out tanking for Anthony Davis. While this roster, you go back and look at it, there were several guys who had solid NBA careers. Mm -hmm. It's amazing how they were able to activate the worst versions of all of them <laughs> at one time. So true. Like, rookie Kemba Walker shot 37% from the field. Yeah. DJ Augustine, 38%. Corey Maggette, 37%. Boris Diaw shot 41% before being traded to the Spurs in that season, where he would finish the season shooting 59% from yeah. the field. Each of these teams were in major periods of upheaval, and most were deliberately trying to lose from game one of the season. The Pistons are in year four of Weaver's rebuild. He had four off-seasons to create this. It is truly one of the most incredible aspects of this streak. Number nine, craziest fact about the Pistons' losing streak, their play in clutch time. The Pistons are 2-26. and They've played 28 games. 12 of those games have gone into clutch time, meaning they've played 12 games that were within five points with under five minutes to go. In other words, they've had some chances. Unfortunately, they are currently making the case to be the worst clutch team of all time. In the clutch, Detroit is shooting 20% from the field and 15.8% from three. To put that into com some context, over the last 25 seasons, which includes a lot of years where NBA teams were not nearly as efficient as they are now, yeah. the worst team in the clutch as far as shooting was the 07-08 Miami Heat, who shot 31.4% hmm. from the field in the clutch. Detroit is shooting 20%. This team has a multitude of problems, but falling apart at the end of games is one of the biggest and was on full display last night against the Jazz. And by the way, shout out to the Wizards, who got their first clutch win of the season last night against the Blazers. Yep. Go Wiz. Um, number eight. Craziest fact about the Pistons losing streak. Of the 15 guys on the main roster, nine are former lottery picks. I don't know that we've ever seen a team collect oh. former lottery picks quite like Troy Weaver yeah. and the Detroit Pistons. It's true. Now, listen, maybe there's something we don't know. Maybe it's like the Infinity Gauntlet. Once you get that final former lottery <laughs> pick, maybe it's maybe it's the 10th one. You complete the lottery gauntlet, and the Pistons become the greatest team ever. Uh, this continued obsession, though, with trying to hit a home run on prospects who were once considered worthy of a top pick does seem like a particularly annoying theme of Weaver's rebuild. Like, if he had just gotten, 
if he had went out and found just some normal NBA rotation players, instead of filling every extra roster spot with a reclamation project, maybe we're not in this position. Yeah. Number seven, craziest fact about the Pistons losing streak. Steven Silas is on this coaching staff. Now, this isn't a big one. It's just kind of crazy to think about his recent journey through the NBA. (laughs) Five seasons ago, in the 2019-20 season, Silas was the offensive coordinator for what at the time was one of the greatest offenses the league had ever seen in Dallas. He then goes to Houston, expecting to coach James Harden, and instead becomes the coach of a team deliberately trying to bottom out. He experiences everything that happened in Houston over these last three seasons, gets fired, and then gets an opportunity to coach on a team that's ready to turn the corner. (laughs) A team already four years into the rebuild, and instead, he's now watching what may be the worst run in league history, far surpassing any of the truly awful basketball he oversaw in Houston. I'll be honest. I went from feeling... I went from feeling bad for Silas when yeah. Harden left and he was left with this tanking team yeah. to not feeling years into the Rockets, they look just as lost to coming all the way back around. I'm feeling bad for Steven yeah. Silas once again. <laughs> he was watching Luca every night a few years yeah. ago, and now he has That's been true. trapped in basketball hell for four consecutive <laughs> seasons. Uh, number six, craziest fact about the Pistons losing streak. I can't stop thinking about the 2022 draft when it comes to Detroit mm, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. it does feel like, and maybe I'm wrong, but it feels like if any other team other than Sacramento moves into that four spot, a spot that they jumped into, the Pistons probably would have ended up with Keegan Murray. And I would be talking about anything else today Yeah, because going into that draft, my perception was that Jay Nivey was close to a consensus pick as the fourth guy in the draft. Mm-hmm. I remember a lot of the talk post-draft being about, oh, the Kangs did it again. Now, of course, it would turn out the Kangs weren't really the Kangs anymore, but we wouldn't find that out for a few more months. But man, just imagine the alternate universe where they get Keegan Murray. Maybe they even eventually pair him with Jalen Duran. That would work too. And this isn't even a shot at Jay Nivey. It's just an acknowledgement that Keegan would have been a picture-perfect fit in Detroit, especially considering his recent jump on defense. Number five. Craziest fact. We're in the top five now, Andrew. I didn't really list these in order of importance, but we're in the top five. Top five craziest fact about the Pistons losing streak. We all know this, but it needs to be repeated. Monty Williams is the second highest paid coach in the NBA. The two highest paid coaches in the league have combined for six wins this season. Combining the salaries for Pop and Monty, that's just under five million per win so far. (laughs) Now, I think the lesson with Monty Williams appears to be if someone tells you they don't want to do something and aren't really interested, maybe listen to them. Maybe don't add more zeros every time, especially when it's a coach who has a recent history of a major falling out with a top pick that depressed that player's value to the point where the best return was Yusuf Nurkic. If you pay someone this much to coach the Detroit Pistons, something you do not want to hear after 20 straight losses is, quote, I think we're starting to figure out that we can score if we space the floor properly. Monty said that on December 11th after 20 straight losses. You think you think this is him trying to get fired? Is that what you're trying to say? Is that he's just trying to just get cut a big fat check to go home? If that was the eventual outcome of this, I mean, that would be pretty awesome from his perspective, especially if it happened right now, right before the record was set. 
<laughs> so his name like isn't officially attached. Gets to go home to for Christmas. <laughs> yeah, go home for Christmas. Yeah, I mean, that would be... That's like my dream. <laughs> uh, okay, for myself. Number four, craziest fact about the Pistons losing streak. In Monty's mild defense, however, okay, Detroit is shooting 34.6% on wide open three-pointers. That is dead last in the league. Yeah. A wide open shot is defined by NBA.com as a shot where the defender is at least six feet away. And for reference, the league on average shoots 39% on wide open threes. They're at 34.6. Now, And that's with, by the way, Bogdanovich, who is doing his part. He's shooting 41% on over seven threes per game. How many are wide open but, for him? Uh, I didn't look up that See, specifically. That, that's the thing with this one. It's like, yeah, they shoot bad on wide open threes because they have bad, bad shooters that they leave wide, right, yeah. wide open. I mean, Asar Thompson, how many air balls has he had this season? He's you know, I mean, they got some yeah. bad, they got some bad, bad shooters. That number could get worse. It could get worse. Um, and, and again, that that's with Bogdanovich, who's doing his part. But yeah. you know, like you're like you're kind of uh, referring to the rest of this roster was constructed as if Weaver had been tipped off that the NBA was about to abolish the three point line. Like that, that's <laughs> like that's the only thing that makes sense here. If he got some inside info, that's true. The number three craziest fact about the Pistons losing streak is the fact that this team cannot hold on to the ball yeah. while also not really being able to generate turnovers at a high rate. Yeah. And listen, this is a young team. They're going to turn the ball over. I get it. They are second worst in turnovers per game at 16.6, which is only better than the Utah Jazz, who they lost to last night. But how? On a team that has clearly not been constructed with shooting in mind, is this team not generating turnovers? If Weaver wasn't going after shooting... He must have had his eye on defensive players, right? How are the Pistons bottom five in opponent turnovers per game, dead last in deflections, bottom three in transition defense? At the very least, the Pistons should be a scrappy defense as they briefly appeared to be at the beginning of the season. Mm -hmm. Instead, this team has zero identity. What do you even build off of to create an identity with this roster? Number two. Craziest fact about the Pistons losing streak, the Pistons only have one first-round pick available to trade, which we talked about last week. Because of a deal made for the pick that was Isaiah Stewart, the Pistons would need to amend protections with the Knicks in order to trade more than one first. Now, to be fair to the Pistons, when we talk about their tanking class of teams, Detroit clearly had the worst starting place. Oh, Each no of the place. other three... OKC, Houston, Orlando, they were able to jumpstart the rebuild with major trades. OKC with the Paul George trade, Houston with the Harden trade, and Orlando with the Vooch trade. The Pistons didn't have that. And so accumulating assets was going to be more difficult. That said, to be four years into this and only have one available pick to trade, it's a joke. Think yeah. about the teams in this league that don't have picks to trade right now or only have one pick to trade. It's not teams at the bottom of the standings. It's contenders who have gone all in. The fact that Detroit has the same number of firsts to trade at this deadline as the Lakers is completely bizarre. And finally, Andrew, number one craziest fact about the Pistons losing streak is the possibility that the Pistons are going to allow Troy Weaver to make another trade for this franchise. Yeah. The guy who had four off-seasons to figure something out and came up with this. It took him four years to put this together. He was in the kitchen for four years, <laughs> cooking, came out of the kitchen, and put this on the table. 
and it's inedible, Andrew. Okay, you can't eat it. The guy who has left this team bereft of draft assets to trade, meaning that any significant trade will likely need to involve one of their core young players. You're going to give him one last shot because, because why? Why is this even a conversation? Well, Alex, he signed an extension last season. Who cares? Tom Gore is the owner has enough money to convince a coach who clearly didn't even want the job to do it. Seems like he should have enough money to move on from the guy who I don't He's like inventing like the anti-process or something where yeah. like he's starting from the same point, but somehow moving backwards over four years. Like why is Troy Weaver potentially getting this opportunity to make major decisions for the future of this team? I don't get it, Andrew. Yeah. I wish the Pistons uh, uh, fans specifically and Pistons players a, a wonderful holiday season. I hope that they get a win <laughs> over these next few games. I don't, I mean, but I do wish them a, a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. I do not well, want them to win want, because I am fascinated to just watch this continue. Okay, you want to see the you want to see the record be broken. But once it's at twenty seven, yeah. Will you be, will you allow them to win, Andrew? Will you start rooting for the Pistons? <sighs> I don't know, man. I'm I am like I'm savage when it comes to like NBA history. I, I want this to just keep. I know what pushed. you want. You what you want is you want it to last at least until the Spurs game, which is in early January. Yeah, yeah. That now that is the battle I want to see. That is the. I mean, I I was glued to my TV watching. Pistons Wizards the other night, and I'll—that's where I'll be. I'll be—I'll be sitting there watching it as they continue to try to just push history in the wrong direction. Oh man, they need to—they need to bump the Spurs game to Christmas Day. I think that would be the right Dude, thing. To do. I, I would, I would watch. We know neither of them are playing. <laughs> bump it to Christmas Day. We can do it. Bump it to Christmas. Oh man! Hey, speaking of another team that's just having just a little bit of bad luck is the Cleveland Cavaliers, and we're going to talk with our guy Justin Rowan right after this quick break. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training, just in time for summer and warmer days. I know I'm looking outside right now. Sun's out, birds are chirping. It's time to start getting outside. Uh, I know that I like to get outside and play basketball with my kids and. Honestly, I need to get into a fitness routine in order to keep up with these guys. And Peloton is there for me. Peloton's varying class links were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout, whether you'd like to add a 10-minute core session at the end of your strength class, or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance. Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals. Peloton's classes were made to challenge you. There are a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, full body strength, or marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you're already excelling in. Peloton's program and instruction push you to be your best. Their expert coaches and nonstop vibes will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run indoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. All right, Andrew, it is time for the Wheel of Fandom, our weekly segment where we spin a wheel, it lands on a team, and we become fans of that team for the next week. Last week, 
the wheel landed on the Cleveland Cavaliers. And less than an hour after spinning the wheel. It really was. It really was. It was almost right after the wheel was done spinning. It was announced that Darius Garland would be out at least four weeks with a fractured jaw, while Evan Mobley would miss six to eight weeks following arthroscopic knee surgery. Cavs week was off to a rough start, but much like last week's Wheel Phantom team, the Chicago Bulls, the Cavs rose to the challenge, going 3-1 and one on the week with wins over the Hawks, Rockets, and Jazz. The Cavs are now 16-13 and 13 with the 22nd-ranked offense and 12th-ranked defense per cleaning the glass. Andrew, if the Cavs are our favorite team, who is our guest? Well, Al, it's Justin Rowan, host of the Chase Down Pod. Justin, what's up, man? Not too much. Thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah, man. Uh, I wish it would be on a week where not all your guys are hurt. But uh, <laughs> me too. <laughs> uh, so when the injuries were announced on Friday, how confident were you in the team's ability to weather the storm for this next month? And did your level of confidence change after watching them go three and one this week? Oh yeah, I was completely confident. I knew three and one was happening for sure. No, I, I, I was I was worried. I was panicked. It, it was funny because going into that last game uh, against Boston. Uh, where Evan Mobley was out, Darius was playing in that game. Our conversation prior to that was, hey, it's about to turn. The schedule is about to change. The Cavs had had the third hardest schedule, uh, strength of schedule up to that point. And I was like, this is really the time where the Cavs can make a run. They're going to have some opponents where they should win. They're going to be playing at home. So on the one hand, I guess it's a nice time for, for Garland and Mobley to, to miss some time. But this was also where you were hoping to make up some ground in the standings. And um, I definitely was concerned. Uh, I wasn't expecting Donovan Mitchell to be out for the last two games uh, with yeah. the flu. Um, but the <laughs> fact that they were able to win these games and weather the storm makes you feel a little bit better because one of the nice things about the, um, these guys being out for this timeline is there is that Paris trip for the Cavs where they play one game in a week. So if you're going to have like a four-week absence, mm. having a week where there's only one game certainly does help uh, minimize the damage. That's a great point. I didn't realize that. Um, so the major off-season theme for the Cavs was shooting, the additions of uh, George Niang and Max Struess, now the unleashing of Sam Merrill. Despite those additions, the offense has been somewhat of a disappointment. They're currently ranked 22nd after being ranked 7th last season. Do you think the offensive struggles were primarily a result of injuries, uh, strength of schedule, as you mentioned, or are there other factors contributing to the slow start on that end? I think injuries and, and just, you know, a, a bit of poor play uh, definitely played a factor. Um, you look at Garland and Mitchell, both of them were dealing with hamstring er injuries early in the year. Same with Karis LeVert. Uh, Darius Garland had a shooting hand injury as well that he was playing through and, and really limited his attempts. Um, and it also caused, you know, some turnover issues. Uh, he was one of the best guards at taking care of the ball uh, for his usage and assist percentage, I think. Uh, of the guards with that usage or players with that usage and assist percentage, only Jokic had a better assist to turnover ratio last year. Um, but, you know, looking at the, the start of the season, I, I think it really came down to the guards just not being themselves. I, I think the supporting cast and the guys they brought in were really helping, but Garland not playing up to his standard, Mitchell having some struggles, guys being in and out of the lineup. I think that's a major factor. I, I know we're going to do trivia later in this, but I, I got a question for you guys. You have to guess, looking at the Cavs' most used lineup this season, how many games would you guess their second most used lineup had pl has played through 29 games? Oh, man. Well, it must be super low. So I will... Three. I'm going to go... Really, uh, yeah, I'll go five. It is three. 
Yes. Their, wow. their second most used lineup has only played three games this year. <laughs> their absurd. most used lineup, their most used lineup has played eleven. So that that's like a ridiculous wow. lack of continuity. Yeah. And yeah. it's disappointing from my perspective because I thought the advantage the Cavs had this year was they're coming into the year with a lot of continuity. Yeah. Max Drews, plug and play easy. You're not any major shakeups and whatnot. Austin, Milwaukee have these massive roster renovations. It might take them a little while to gel. It's been the complete opposite, which, you know, I, I think the process and the thought, uh, the mentality there was right. It just hasn't played out that way, unfortunately. Hmm. So when Cleveland signed Max Struess, there was some talk about the Miami role player curse where guys who just don't look so good after being um, just amazing in Miami. Uh, that's not been the case for Struess, who currently has the best on-off rating for the Cavs, according to Cleaning the Glass, at plus 14.5. Has there been anything that surprised you about Struess's play this season, having watched him in Miami the past few seasons? I've been a little surprised at how well he's rounded out his game. Um, you know, I, I do think Miami deserves a lot of credit in, in terms of their player development, the way they hold guys accountable, and the work ethic they instill in these guys. But you also got to credit the players as well. And Max Drews is someone that went from undrafted and has continued to work on his game. And the fact that he stepped in and he's, you know, career high in assists, rebounds, he's helping out in so many other ways. I've just really been impressed by his overall impact on the game. And it's not really something that I expected. And I think there's been times this year where he's been asked to do just a little bit too much. Um, one of the things we were looking at coming from Miami was the last two years in Miami, he was in the fourth percentile uh, per cleaning the glass in terms of uh, how open his shots were. Hmm. Um, actually, that was basketball index, my bet. Um, but he was in the fourth percentile. And, you know, Miami had a lot of injuries last year. He wasn't playing with a point guard. So we said, hey, he's going to get better looks in Cleveland. And uh, you look at it this year, it's a drastic, drastic difference when Garland's playing versus when he's not. Um, when Garland's out of the lineup, the Cavs are down their first, second, and third string point guards. They don't have Ty Jerome and Ricky Rubio's away from the team. So uh, when Garland's playing, Struess is shooting 45% from the floor and 40% from three. Uh, that drops down to 32% and 25% when he's not oh, wow. playing with the point guards. So that has really been the story for from his uh, production standpoint. But I've been really impressed with the way that he's impacting the game in so many different facets. So we are now in year three of the Jared Allen, Evan Mobley front court. The net rating for the Cavs when both Allen and Mobley are on the court is better than when either is off the court, which was also the case last season. And yet it does feel, especially after the Knicks series, that many people enjoy putting Jared Allen into fake trades. Uh, just this week, Jake Fisher reported that the Pelicans have interest in Allen. What is your opinion on this front court long term? Like when you hear people say they want to break up this pairing, say that Mobley should be the Cavs full time center. What is your reaction? I think, you know, I, I understand the logic behind it. Uh, I could see maybe that's a, a conversation for a couple of years from now. But at this point, I really don't think that's the case. Like, I, I think even if Mobley was going to be a prime uh, primary center, I think you still want to have kind of like an innings eater at center, like a Steven Adams type, just so that he's not taking the same beating. And also just so that you have that guy that's kind of taking care of the general rim protection responsibilities. But Mobley's able to roam. He's able to be that help defender. And I, I think when you look at a lot of the best defenses in the league, you know, Jaron Jackson Jr. is in a similar role. Uh, Draymond Green obviously was able to play that that roaming role. And Robert Williams was excellent uh, for Boston in that kind of roaming four role. So I understand the thought process, especially from an offensive standpoint. But if you look at last year, 
Mobley played just as many minutes without Allen as he played with him. And I, I think the philosophy for the Cavs is, uh, at least with the current build with the core four, is you're going to have at least one elite playmaker on the court of in all times with Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell. And you're going to have at least one, uh, you know, backline rim protector in Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. So if, you know, they're playing 16 minutes together and 16 minutes apart, you got 32 minutes where you can be playing kind of uh, four out and more offensive basketball. But you look at last year, the offensive rating was better with both of them on the court. They had a 119 mm-hmm. offensive rating with both of them on the court and a 115 with each of them individually. So right now I'm not in a rush to to make that change. Um, but I could certainly see, you know, in in three years when Allen's contract's up, I, I think that's Mobley's going to be 25 years old. Maybe he's able to take on more physical responsibility. But I'm just not in a mood to really kind of rush that process along. Mm-hmm. So speaking of Jake Fisher, he also reported this week that the Cavs have no intent of trading all-star guard Donovan Mitchell, who will be a free agent in 2025. What's the general vibe among the fan base regarding Mitchell? And as of today, is your expectation that Mitchell will play out next season and a half in Cleveland? I think there's angst. I think, you know, there's LeBron PTSD with, with this market, right? Like, it, yeah. it's it's not the, the same situation, but... I think, you know, it's one of those things where, as fans, if you feel like someone might not be around for the long term, you start emotionally distancing yourself to to protect yourself. I don't really feel that. And one of the things that I appreciate with Donovan Mitchell, even if this doesn't work out, um, whether, you know, it's the Cavs saying, hey, we don't want to, you know, sign an extension and commit to a small backcourt moving forward. Or if Mitchell says, hey, you guys aren't as far along in the timeline as I thought we would be. Uh, so I, I might want to explore other options. The thing I appreciate with Mitchell is it does seem like he has been very bought in throughout this process. Um, he's bought in, in in the community. He's been bought in on the team. Uh, he's had his most efficient seasons of his career and uh, has really fit well with Darius Garland uh, over the last year. So I like that at least when the team is together and healthy, we're getting to see uh, we're, we're getting the data points. We're, we're seeing it fully invested. Let's figure out if, whether or not this works. And if at the end of next year, you know, one side or the other decides, hey, this, this probably isn't best uh, in terms of a long-term partnership, it's not going to be hard feelings from my side. Like, I, I think it was a, a worthwhile gamble for the Cavs. Um, but I, I really do think it's going to be dictated by how far they go this season, um, how, how the playoff series goes. Like, Obviously, winning around seems to be their goal. That's where the, the franchise set expectations on media day. Mm-hmm. I think the most important thing is when they're in the playoffs that they're not outclassed. Like if they win a playoff mm-hmm. series, you lose the second round in seven games, but or six, seven games, but they're tight games, they're competitive. Then you can say, all right, a little more internal growth. We have our mid-level exception next year to add more talent. We have a first-round pick. One of the few years we have a first-round pick. We, we can make some adjustments here. If they get outclassed like they did against the Knicks, I, I think that would cause an evaluation from both parties in this situation. Well, Justin, thank you so much for answering all of our Cavs questions. But it is now time to play Andrew versus the Beat, our weekly trivia show where Andrew goes head to head against a NBA beat writer this week, Justin Rowan, host of the Chase Down Pod. Now, Justin, how this works, I've come up with eight questions all about the Cavs. Some are easy, some are hard. You're going to give me a number between one and eight. And if you get it right, you'll get at least two points. If you get it wrong, Andrew will have a chance to steal for one. And then we'll go back and forth until all the questions have been asked and answered. So to start us off, Justin, I just need a number between one and eight. 
Oh boy, I I'm intimidated by this. Trey made me feel a little bit better with his performance last <laughs> week, so hopefully I can top that. Uh, let's go with lucky number seven. Lucky number seven. In 1970, the Cleveland Plain Dealer ran a poll asking oh, for no. name suggestions for the new NBA expansion team. While the Cavaliers won out, there were four other finalists. Which of the following was not one of the four finalists for the new expansion team? Your options are the Jays, the Pipers, the Foresters, the Towers, or the Presidents. Once again, the Jays, the Pipers, the Foresters, the Towers, or the Presidents. I'm going to go with the Jays. I, I, I feel... Yeah, you I'm feel... going with the Jays. Yeah, I'm going with that. Okay. I, I that was going is... to sort of justify it, but it's a gut feeling. I, I, I don't have a justification. <laughs> that is incorrect. Uh -huh. Andrew, you have a chance to steal. Which of the following was not one of the four finalists? Pipers, Foresters, Towers, or Presidents? This is a stab in the dark. <laughs> yeah, they all like, sound good? I have like no knowledge in my brain <laughs> as to what this could be. I'll say Presidents. I don't know. Uh, Andrew, that is also wrong. Uh, I think the most amount of most number of presidents came from Ohio. I'm assuming that's the reason for that. Mm. Uh, the Pipers, the Pipers, the Pipers uh, was the name of a Cleveland professional team prior to the Cavs. Oh, they weren't in the NBA. Uh, okay. But no points there. No points there. Okay, Andrew, the board is yours. Uh, number one. Question number one. We're getting all the goofy ones out of the way. Oh, no. Which of the following is not? A basketball reference official nickname for one of the Cavs players. Okay, your options are okay. Toad, Milk, Ice, <laughs> Baby Durant, Minivan. Once again, that is Toad, Milk, Ice, Baby Durant, Minivan. Toad, Milk. I mean, I know the Minivan for sure. Toad. Who would be Toad? Who looks like Toad? You said Mini Durant? Uh, I said Baby Durant. Toad, baby. Milk, Ice, Baby Durant. I think Baby Durant is Levert. I think I remember that. Um, yeah, that's correct. Milk. <laughs> <laughs> Someone that aged poorly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I guess I'll I don't know. I, I'll say milk. I don't know who milk is. Andrew, that is incorrect. Oh hell yeah. I okay. I, I had no idea between uh, toad and milk. I'm going with toad. Toad can't be. Uh that is correct, Justin. I made up toad. <laughs> <laughs> I was definitely uh, milk, toad Andrew. And milk. How do you not know milk? That of course is the nickname for Ty Jerome. Everyone's always saying it. That's right. Milk. God, we, we even Why? had a short on our podcast where I, I revealed that fact to Carter and he was just completely blown away. Oh, really? <laughs> Toad. I was like, does somebody look like Toad from Mario or something that I'm not thinking of? Like, what is this? Oh, I was thinking, when I thought of it, I was thinking of Frog and Toad because oh. I had just seen a, a picture of Frog and Toad. <laughs> oh, the much more popular Frog and Toad, you know. Uh, okay, Justin, you're on the board and you have control of the board. All righty. Let's go with five. Question number five. What is Tristan Thompson's career high in points for a single game? Now, before you answer, you get to choose who answers first. You can make Andrew answer, and then you go higher or lower, 
or you can answer and he goes higher or lower. Either of you gets it exactly correct, though, with your guess. You do get a bonus point. Okay. So careful. All right. Fellow Canadian here, Tristan Thompson. I'm going with 29. I'm going 29 first. 29 is where the bar is set. Andrew, would you like to go higher or lower? I'll say lower. Tristan Thompson, once upon a time, scored 35 points in a game, which means Justin gets Whoa. points. Was that against Detroit? I feel like that was against Detroit. <laughs> uh, I will I will look it up in the meantime. 35. I should get a bonus point if it is. Um, <laughs> I'll allow it. Okay, Andrew, uh, you have control of the board. And here are your options. Number two. Question number two. The Cavs have 16 two-man lineups that have played more than 300 minutes together this season. Name the two players in the most negative lineup, which there's only two of these lineups, which is currently a minus seven. You do get one point per correct answer. So the two players in the worst, most played two-man lineup. Okay. Um, it's a good question. I will say... Jared Allen? That is incorrect. By the way, Justin, it was against the Pistons. Wow. On Hell yeah. 2020. Mm. Wow. Great pull. Wow. Uh, and now you have a chance to get two more points. You can name the two players in the most negative, most played two-man lineup. Most played, eh? Um, who's been struggling? It's probably a bench... Is George Niang one of them? That is correct for one point. Can you get the other one? Oh. Been having a nice year, but, you know, one of the downsides of missing so many starters is the bench lineups get a little sparse, so I'm going to guess Isaac Okoro. That is incorrect, but you still got the one point. It was Karis LeVert. Karis ah. LeVert and George yep. Niang. Uh, okay. It is Justin Cern. Justin, you're doing great. Four zip. This is bad. Let's go with four. Question number four. The Cavs currently have two regular rotation players taking at least 85% of their shots from three. Sam Merrill and Dean Wade. In Cavs franchise history, there are only two other players who took at least 85% of their shots from three for a season. And similar to Merrill and Wade, they also did it while playing on the same team. Who are they? You get one point per correct answer. Cast history, J.R. Smith. That is incorrect. Andrew, you Man, have a chance to steal. I was, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> he was not shy. <laughs> no. Uh, was it? Was, is Corver one of them? Andrew, that is also incorrect. Really? It what? was the 2014-15 season. Okay. And it was James Jones and Mike Miller. Oh. James Jones and Mike wow. Miller. Okay. Corver. How about that? All right. Andrew, if you're going to make a comeback, you got to start now. Okay. Three. Question number three. By the way, I've been trying to find out why Ty Jerome is called Milk this entire time. <laughs> I cannot find any information 
All I found was that he doesn't understand why he's called it. <laughs> <laughs> so I have no idea. Also, the other thing I found was that uh, Kelly Oubre specifically calls him Milky or Goat Milk. So there's some more information for you. Oh my um, Cavs have okay. had some weird basketball That's reference funny. nicknames. <laughs> All right, Andrew, Max Struess, mm-hmm. Donovan Mitchell. They are both taking over seven threes per game. Mm-hmm. They are one of nine teams in the league who have two players taking at least seven threes in game, and we're going to name the other eight. So how this works, Andrew will give me a team name, then Justin will give me a team name. We'll go back and forth to one of you stumble. So this is a team in the league who has at least two players taking at least seven threes per game. Stephen Clay. Very good guess, Andrew. Always a safe <laughs> guess to go with Stephen Clay. Uh, Justin. Uh, so I got just got named teams, right? I don't have to yes. guess the players. Yeah, you don't have to okay. guess the players. I'm going to guess Indiana. Indiana, that is correct. Tyrese Halberton and Buddy Heald. Oh boy, um, Sacramento. Sacramento. Do you know who it is? Is it Fox and Herder? It's it's, it's Keegs, but I just Keegan. okay. You're in Fox. His shooting season is so crazy to me to think about how he used to be talked about. And now oh, he's yeah. taking over seven threes per game, shooting 40%. He's been amazing. Just blows my mind. He's been amazing. Yeah. Uh, that was correct. Justin, we have five uh, games left. Dallas, Kyrie and Luca. You didn't get the names correct, but Dallas is correct. Okay. It's Luca okay. and Tim Hardaway jr. All right, Andrew, there's only four names left. You guys are doing great, but you need these points, Andrew. I need these points badly. I feel if I lose this, I feel like I'm toast. Just completely toast. toast. God, this is tough because like I think of Philly because I know Maxie's doing it because he's taking a lot, but I don't know that they have another one that is that high. Um, I think about Atlanta too. Do they have a second guy? Mm. I think maybe Bogdan. Okay, I'll do that. Atlanta? Tra- Atlanta. Trey Young and Bogdan. Andrew, you are absolutely correct. Yes. Atlanta is one of them. Whew. Back to Justin. What a battle. <sighs> like, Austin's very good, but there's another one from Tatum. Yeah. Ah, I- I'm going with Boston. You know, I'm actually looking up Boston. Boston is incorrect. But okay. how close is it? It's very close. Jalen Brown and Derek White are both shooting 6.5 per game. Ah, just take more cowards. Come on. <laughs> uh, the other team names, uh, Miami, Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, wow. Charlotte, LaMelo, and Terry Rozier, wow. and then Chicago Bulls, Zach Levine, and Kobe White. Yeah, I was, ne- I was never getting any of those. Kobe. All right, Justin, you now have to protect your lead because you are up by two. Andrew has made some inroads. Okay, I'm going... Two questions left. Eight. All right, question number eight. With the help of Evan Mobley and Jarrett Allen, the Cavs rank third in the league so far in total dunks. Who are the two teams that dunk more than the Cavs? And you get one point per correct answer. Oh, boy. When you think of dunkers, 
What team comes to mind? Dunkers. No team comes to mind. I don't think I'm caffeinated enough. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Lakers? That is correct. That's a good one. For one point. Can you get the other one? Uh, I don't think Zion's played enough. Trying to think tall teams. <laughs> uh, this is great podcasting. Uh, da, 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 da. Let's let's go with Boston. Let's just go good offense. They they got athletes. They got athletes, but not enough dunkers. Andrew, this is a critical point. You need this point yeah. just to even have a chance to tie it. Yeah, in the I final do. question, I do. Uh, what about my beloved Detroit Pistons? Andrew, that is absolutely correct. Yes, the Detroit what? Pistons. I thought you were Are tanking. Two yes. teams. I thought you were tanking. <laughs> That's like all the they Pistons. can do. That's all the Good team Lord. can do. That's all they can do to That's generate fair. points. Duran does dunk absolutely everything. Yeah. So shout out to them. All right, this has set up a great final question. It oh. is five to three. Andrew, you need both points. Oh, I'm very nervous. Tie it up. Send it into overtime. Okay. With Sam Merrill's 27 point game. The Cavs have now had seven different players score at least 25 points in a game this season. That ties them with these two teams for highest number of players scoring 25 in a game this season. You get one point per correct answer. How many players is it again? Seven. Seven Seven different players scoring 25 in a game. Wow. Wow. So, wow. This is such a hard question. <laughs> it's very hard. This is a really, really tough. Shout one. out to Cavs depth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. Um, goodness. So it's got to be a team that scores a lot. Um, what about Sacramento? Andrew. That is incorrect, which means Justin wins the week. Justin, would you like to throw out any names? Andrew was going down the right path. With I his was thinking. going to Indiana. Indiana, Indiana, going Indiana to is one. Dang it. Okay. That is correct. Uh, any guesses on the final one? Man. Who else scores a lot? I don't know. If Milwaukee feels, yeah, Milwaukee feels too top heavy. Um, Nick's it's kind of a random one. Nick's? It is the Charlotte Hornets. Oh, okay. weird. Hornets. Yeah, Brandon oh. Miller has done it. Um, I think Gordon Hayward, Rogier, Lamella. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, Justin, congratulations. Final score six to three, winning Andrew versus the. Man, I was okay. very, I was very close. Hey, go listen to the Chase Down Pod and to Justin and all of his great work. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Really appreciate it. All right, Andrew, that was Cavs week. Hopefully the wheel doesn't do anything nefarious this week. The wheel was so mean last week. I know. Uh, we got 23 teams left, and this is a big week because we're not going to be recording yeah. next week yep. because of Christmas. So this is going to be a two-weeker. So let's get us a good team. Maybe a team that is going to play on Christmas. Wouldn't Ooh, that be nice? That would be very fun. All right, we're spinning the wheel. The wheel of fandom team this week will be... Ah, the Sacramento Kings. Sacramento Kings, yeah. It took us so long to get them 
the previous time. Yeah, it did. Yeah, last time we, we went their whole entire like that last season without yeah. getting the Kings. I know. This is great. And we got some good games. We got Phoenix tonight, Ooh. and then a big one on a back to back. That's rough. Minnesota Ooh. at home. Oh, okay. And then at Portland, at Atlanta, at Memphis. That's kind of juicy on uh, New yeah. Year's Eve. Yeah, that is. And then we're also going to get to see Charlotte and Orlando. We're going to get to see okay. seven games okay. of the Sacramento Kings. Okay. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Something else that I like is uh, you guys leaving five-star reviews for us, just like this one from at PlayerMIS. They say, I look forward to this podcast each week. Alex's bowel movement description of Pistons versus Wizards game was not only hilarious, but completely apt. My only criticism is Andrew's lack of appreciation of the Miami organization, <laughs> their heat culture, and what they've been accomplishing through the Jimmy Butler era. Uh, wow. Keep Peter. it up. Great work, guys. Thanks so much for that review. And then this one comes from Dude Buffet Cartoon. Slam and Jam Rave Review. I want to take a second give a shout out to the amazing host, Alex, as a game show host. You are fantastic. Every week you are consistently bringing the swagger of a young Michael Malley. The amount of time and effort that you put into segments like which team was a preseason surprise good team that was that is fake and will be actually bad now would be considered a huge waste of time by my father, but you have turned that into an actual job. Five stars. Thank you so much for that review. Uh, hope you guys have an awesome week. Great Christmas. Happy holidays. Be sure to look out for the Athletic NBA Show Christmas special. It's dropping in the wee hours of the night on Sunday. So, uh, it's very good. It's very, very fun. So, be sure to listen to that. Hope you guys enjoy time with friends and family and the basketball on Monday. We'll talk to you guys again in two weeks.